thought I would also share some things that, again, I don't think anything I'm saying here is new to you, but just a couple of other linchpins that are important for me and Peggy as we thought about what is a family. Well, first of all, and this is more of a theological statement, but I think you know this, God created three institutions through which he does his work. The first institution was the family. That's the very first thing he does in Genesis 2. The second institution was the state or government, governing authority. And you see the beginning of that in Genesis 9 as Noah and his family get off the ark. God says some things and then that just grows and matures through scripture. And then the third institution is, of course, the church. And those three institutions are the key institutions God created and through which God does his work. And for so, so much of history, especially American history, there was a triad, or if you will, a triangle, or I mean, any metaphor you can think of. But raising the kids was a cooperative effort between the church and the family, and until fairly recently in our history, the school played a key role. And that triangle, that relationship was always complementary, they were always helping and working together. Peggy always says, you know, one of the best examples, now granted it's a little bit idealistic, but uh, she used to love Little House on the Prairie. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I don't mean the books, but I also mean the series that Michael Landon uh, uh, started and then starred in. But if you remember, I don't even remember what the town is, but whatever the town is where they lived, the school was in the church. And the church was the pastor of the church, I remember he was kind of an itinerant guy, but the pastor of the church and, and the school teacher and the parents, and, and they're just all working together in raising the kids in that little community. It was all, everybody was involved in that. That doesn't exist anymore in our country, as you know. So we are focused today in 21st century in this postmodern world on the family, kind of on its own. Now, the church is there, and it's connected, and I, what, as I said last week, I so affirm what your church is trying to do. It is doing something a lot of churches are not doing. And even if your child, and there are some really great examples in our city, but a Christian school that your kids might go to, or even if you homeschool your kids, you're trying to reestablish that three-part linkage. But many Christian parents, probably in the United States, throughout our, our whole country, it's a minority. The majority are still, they're raising their kids, they're connected to their church, but the schools are often countermanding what they're trying to do at home. So it's an institution created by God. It's an institution to teach and model the things of God. Those other parts of the triangle would help. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Deuteronomy 6, your group's called D6, so you know what I'm talking about. But that teaching and modeling, the family, family is so central to that. And the linkage with the church is what makes it vibrant, robust, alive, and real. And then it's, a, it's an institution where there is discipline, where there's trust, and where there's openness. And I'm looking at that whole, the most extended passage on that in the New Testament is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and 6. So as we think about that, this is how Peggy and I looked at it. These are the passages that we sort of anchored our thoughts in. These were some of the, the, the principles. I'm not sure I even, I don't know if I should have used principles because 
these are things that we did, things that we thought about, things that we kind of wrote down as we were in the process. And so um, I'm going to share these, give you a couple of examples, and then, you know, if they're of value to you, great. And if not, then uh, that's, that's fine, too. But I told Jeff that the third night I'd just share some of our real personal things. Let me tell you, just as we start this real quickly, um, about our two kids. Jonathan, both of our children are adopted. We cannot have our own children uh, for medical reasons. And uh, that was hard. And if, I don't know if any of you in this room have struggled with infertility or know anything about infertility. That's, that's a difficult thing for a couple. You have your close friends and, and members of your family having lots of babies, and you're not having any. That's a difficult, very difficult thing. I actually think it's probably even more difficult for the for the gal, for the wife. But anyway, uh, we wrestled through that. We did all the tests and everything you, you have to do. And um, and in, as we were finishing all that, a number of things were happening in our lives where we um, made the decision to go to seminary. I think I told you a little bit about that the first night. We sold everything and moved to Dallas and, and, uh, and, and uh, started that phase of our lives. But as we had finished all that, we, we made that decision that when we got to Dallas, we were going to try to find a good agency with which we could work to adopt um, a, a child. And so near the end of our years there, we were there for over four years, um, we, were, we were able to adopt Jonathan. Jonathan is uh, Mexican-American. His parents uh, were going back and forth across the border. They had already had one child, and his mother was 19 when she had Jonathan. Gives you a little sense of that family. Devout Catholic family. And uh, they, uh, we shared this with Jonathan many, many times, that uh, you know, they loved him enough and made the decision they were not going to abort him. They were going to have him and put him up for adoption, which they did. And uh, I still can remember that day when we were in the second floor of that office uh, of the agency, and uh, she brought up this little black-haired little guy very full head of hair at about uh, six days when we took a placement of him. Uh, and it was really neat to see that. We, we stressed immediately with Jonathan before he could even understand our words, that you're adopted, hon. And uh, mommy and daddy are adopted too. We're adopted into God's family. And we want you to be adopted into God's family too, but you're adopted into our family. And your mom and dad loved you so much, they did not abort you. These were the kinds of things that we talked to him about. Jonathan, it didn't take us very long to realize that Jonathan was a very compliant son. He really loved to please us. Still does. It's just a delight to be with him. Six years later, Joanna came along. We were now in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, we, again, made that decision. We were going to ask the Lord for a second child, and again, a bunch of things happened. We ended up adopting Joanna. Joanna was born in Korea, an orphanage in Seoul, and uh, came to uh, the government at that time of South Korea did not let the children leave the country until they were three months old. So by the time Joanna got to uh, our home, she was about four months old. <clears throat> and um, she's, uh, she's an incredible young uh, little girl. We saw it immediately. She is not going to be compliant. That was clear. <laughs> and as she got older, it was very, very clear she was strong-willed. I was convinced that when Dobson wrote his book, The Strong-Willed Child, he followed Joanna around, took notes. <laughs> then he wrote his book. I mean, she just, she still is that way. She is incredibly strong-willed. But what has happened is the Lord's gotten a hold of her, and that, that strong will is now channeled uh, in so many 
good positive direction. But she was an immense challenge to us. And I mean, it was it was what worked with Jonathan did not work with Joanna. And I'm not saying anything. If you have more than one child, you know what I mean. But for us, it was like they were polar opposites, total opposites. And that was just really interesting because we were a little bit older. Uh, I was uh, 33 when when uh, we took a placement with uh, with Jonathan, and then uh, it was 39 when we took placement with Joanna. So, uh, but that's that was good. We felt uh, blessed with the Lord that we had matured some things in our lives, particularly in our faith. When we first were married, because I did not get straightened out with the Lord until 1972, almost five years in. Well, as we, Peggy and I have talked about this, these are some of the things that we thought we would share, and I'm kind of speaking in, in, in her behalf as well, because these are things that we thought about together. But again, I don't think this is anything you don't know, but it's important to see that God creates each child uniquely. And if you have more than one child, and many of you do, or will have more than one child, that's just really important. Because often what you try with one child and it works will not work with the next child. But your goal always is move them from dependence on you to dependence on, to depend, dependence on Jesus. And what does that mean? What that's going to look like? How's that going to work for Joanna versus to Jonathan? And sometimes as a part of that, it, it requires on our part as her parents to seek to understand them. Um, and that's a... That's hard to do sometimes because you're the you're the parent, you're the one in, in authority, you're the one in control, and you're, you're trying to figure out this kid. And you say, "Well, just obey me. I don't have to figure you out. Just obey me." Well, that's true. You you want them to know who's in control and that they are an authority figure, and you are an authority figure in their life that God has put, and that's important. But if we're going to make an impact on them, we have to understand who they are, and not only their interests, not only what sports they might get seek to understand them. Where, where, where are they sensitive? Where, what are they sensitive to? And Lord, how can I channel what I see in my daughter toward you? Because what, what worked with Jonathan did not work with Jordan. Spiritually, in almost any area, it just didn't work. I mean, Jordan, she could have cared less about pleasing us. And I don't mean that meanly, and she, she, she says that. That's exactly what she was. So you understand now, okay, now what does that mean? And then there's just, we live in an age, again, I think you, you agree with that. We live in an age where there are so many resources to help us to understand our kids and understand and channel and, and give them the kinds of opportunities that are going to be best for them and the unique qualities and gifts and who they are and so on. But with that, thirdly, is we set the boundaries, and I said that earlier, we set the boundaries, but we always maintain the relationship. Um, somehow, and with Jonathan, I was able to communicate that fairly, fairly easily with him. That's because he was so compliant. But to somehow to understand that Jonathan, Dad, Dad has boundaries that God sets in his life. Those boundaries are for my good. Those boundaries are detailed in his word. And, and then he wants me to develop some convictions, son, in areas where he's not specifically spoken. But it's always important to have boundaries because those boundaries are, in effect, freeing. 
And that's a hard thing to get across to a six-year-old. But the, the boundaries are a good thing. Rules, the standards, they're, they're very good things to have. And mommy and daddy's role and the way God set it up is we, we're to help you understand what the boundaries of life are. Because those boundaries are always going to be boundaries. And uh, with Joanna, we would say that, but every single day of her life, she would say, Dad, are they still the boundaries? Because she's right up at the line. I mean, is this still a boundary, Dad? You sure you haven't moved it? You know, you, you would say, she's 14 years old. Joanna, we want you home at 10 o'clock. 10.15. Is it right 10.15 tonight? 10 o'clock. Oh, Dad, come on, 10.15. I think we had that conversation 50 times. And then when she was 16, it was 11. And then she was 17, it was 12. And it was like, oh, come on, 12.15. Where are the boundaries? Every day you have to reestablish the boundaries. But in that, the relationship, just keep, keep talking why it's important to have boundaries. And those boundaries are for your good. We are defining. And then don't neglect discipline, which is an obvious point. But um, I think one of the things that we sometimes forget as parents, and I, I forgot that many times, but Peggy kept reminding me of that. Discipline is not punitive. It's restorative. We are not punishing our children for the sake of punishing our children. Because the word discipline has its origin in a, in a Greek word, which means to train, to equip. And so our, our, our discipline of our children is ne- it should never be punitive. It should always, yeah, yeah you punish, but that's not, the, that's not the end. The goal is restorative. It's, it's get them back to that point of obedience, of walking in obedience, whatever that might be. Um, and I think, I know I forgot that many times, but I think sometimes we have the tendency to forget that sometimes. And that's really hard to always keep that in the forefront of how we think about discipline. Maintain a dynamic relationship. Um, and that's how you maintain that is it depends on the child, it depends on you, it depends on your schedule. But uh, that relationship is absolutely central. Um, the, if there is anything that today is pleasing to me and to my wife, is that our son, who still lives, he's still in England, he lives in England 4,500 miles away, he still calls us every other week. He wants that relationship. He wants to know when we're coming over. I mean, that relationship is still there. That is really, really good. Some of our friends, they have almost no relationship with their adult children. That's really sad. Now, that's probably not always true, but it really starts with what's going on in their lives as they're growing up in your home. And I think a part of that, oh, this is so easy to say this, but affirm, encourage, as best you can do, never criticize sense of criticizing them for who they are, quality or characteristic. Criticize is a part of discipline. What you're trying to do is there's something that needs to be corrected here, son. Something, but I'm not criticizing you personally. And that, I have the second to last bullet, respect. Respect for your children. They're, they, they were created in the image of God. They're of worth and value to him. He created them for a purpose. He's gifted them in such a way. Part of our role to move them to dependence on Jesus so he can maximize what he wants to do with their lives. We have a real 
for that respect. And when our kids are really disobedient and when they're defiantly disobedient and they're intentionally and willfully plotting disobedience, that is really difficult. And again, I'm speaking in a comfortable room and my kids are grown and and, uh, I'm saying this, but I'm saying it based on what we and Peggy and I have learned. And that was something we really, really worked hard to do. Successful. That third to last bullet, I skipped it, but let me go back to that. I'm going to be sure that your children understand forgiveness. This really hit home to me when my son was, um, I believe he was six, maybe seven, but uh, I think he was six. And um, I honestly can't remember what he did. But we used to have um, on the refrigerator, we had, and Jonathan was young, so Joanna wasn't even with us yet he was six, but we had a list of their responsibilities, and as this, we just continued from Joanna King, and a list of, of punishments if they didn't do uh, what their responsibilities were in the family and uh, chores they were supposed to do, all those kinds of things, as well as, then we had a third thing, which was, uh, these are the family standards, and we expect you to respect one another, we expect you to honor one another, we, we expect you to respect one another's room. The threshold crosses from the hall and the carpet changes color into it. You, you don't go in there unless your sister or brother invites you in there. Just things like that. And then if they violated that standard, what the punishment was. So I'm saying all that because we really tried to do our best to, to make sure the kids understood what the boundaries were. Now Jonathan violated one of those. I, again, I don't remember what it was. He, was. he wasn't very old. So I disciplined him and he went to his room. He was there an hour and a half or maybe 60 minutes. He came out. The very first thing he did when he came out was, "Daddy, did you forgive me?" And I mean, it kind of caught me off. I said, "Of course, son, I forgive you." And that night, I think four times or maybe five times, he came up to me again, jumped on my "Daddy, did you forgive me?" And I don't know why. I don't know why he did that. And then the next morning, I think two times, he asked me, "Daddy, do you do you forgive me?" At that point in his life, it was really, really important that he understood that I forgave. And so we really, we really talked about that for quite a while, and we talked the, about the importance. And we did that with the kids as they got a little bit older, too, and, and as they got into later elementary grades, stressing how God looks at forgiveness. Because that mommy and daddy's goal is the same. It tells us in the Bible that when God forgives, he takes our sin and buries it in the deepest part of the ocean. That for God's perspective, he forgives us for our sin. He no longer holds it against us. God doesn't hold grudges. God's not bitter. And mommy and daddy, when we forgive you, that's how we want you to understand what forgiveness means. And therefore, when you forgive one another's brother and sister, that's how we want you to do that. And with your friends, of course, that's really hard. Kids are growing up when they're with bullies and things like that. But within our relationship as parent to child, that hit me with Jonathan. Never forgot that. So I always tried to stress that, that he would understand. We did that with Joanna. It wasn't quite as important to her, but um, that, that, that understanding that they're forgiven, that mommy and daddy are not holding anything against them. So, of course, this is how God deals with us. And then, um, in a way, this is kind of a, an obvious one, but um, I'm not sure we always do this well kids that 
teach our kids that God is their friend. It's called the third Lord and Savior. Um, I do a lot of Bible study. Uh, well, now I have four of them in the city and two of the four with businessmen. I started them when I was president. And uh, I, I feel strongly about that. It's part of what I want to do with the rest of my life is teach and mentor, especially mentor men. And I've been doing that for a long time. But, you know, one of the things I discovered is how many men do not understand that concept. They don't understand that. I, I have a Wednesday, uh, two, two of my Bible studies are on Wednesday, or early in the morning, and one of the lunch hour with these business guys. And one of the guys today are in the book of Philippians. And um, that's the, the beginning of chapter two is such an important chapter. I don't know if you know what's in there, but we, we again, and this guy was saying, so this, this is how Jesus looks at me. And I always talk to the guys, walking with God means you have your hand tightly in his. And he is never going to let go, but you will want to let go a lot. And he will often let you let go. His goal is that you walk with him tightly, hand in hand through life. Because Jesus said to his disciples, and I think by extension to those who put their faith in him, That is such an awesome, amazing concept for people, for men especially, to understand that the Creator, Sovereign Lord of the Universe, wants to be a friend with you. I think we really need to communicate that somehow to our kids. That God is not some ogre seeking to make their life miserable. God sets the boundaries for our good. It's very. Another uh, 6.30 in the morning class, uh, we were studying Proverbs, the first nine chapters, as you know, where Solomon's talking to his kids. And uh, it was, this was one of these epiphanies. This guy's a real successful attorney, and he's a tennis player. And I, he just, some, it was like, I don't know, he just wasn't getting any of this. He just couldn't quite get what Solomon was trying to communicate. And then he, one, one morning, he blurts out, Oh! God sets the line, paints the lines on the tennis court. I would never say it that way, but that's right. And God lets you go over the lines. You have the freedom to do that. But if you go over the lines, you're not playing by the rules. He'll chasten and discipline you as you love him. He got that the values and morals and ethical standards that are actually a reflection of God's character that you see in the word are for our good. And that can only, only come from understanding who God is. He's sovereign, Lord, master, and creator of the universe. Let the love and communion that the Father, Son, and Spirit had known for all eternity to share with the creatures he created in his image. To love and walk with them in fellowship for all of eternity. And for us to somehow communicate that to our kids, that he is their friend. They put their faith in him. He's their Lord. He's their master. He's their king. He's 
Ekman, if you could, uh, if you could repeat that question yeah. in a brief summary just yeah. for the group across the hall, that'd be great. Thanks. The question, uh, I, it was, there were several layers to it, but if I have not uh, reflected this correctly, uh, uh, make sure that I know that. But I think her question was, uh, what our kids are exposed to now, um, multiple parents, uh, multiple family models, the same sex, uh, is, is implied, I think, in your same-sex marriages, uh, single parents. Uh, Joanna has a, uh, one of her kids uh, last year that she had in her class. When he went home at night, he didn't know where he was going to sleep. It was either going to be with mom or a neighbor or an, an aunt because it depended on whether her mom, his mom's boyfriend was at home. I mean, it's just a horrible thing uh, for these little kids. But, uh, you know, there is no... <laughs> There's no silver bullet to that, but I do think it is, it, it would seem to me, uh, it's very, very important for us, as I said in the very first slide, or the very second slide actually, to, to make sure they understand that family and the definition of a family, and a man and a woman, a husband and a wife and children, is the way God created them. And it is very, very important. Mommy and daddy believe that in Genesis, and as we see both negatively modeled and positively modeled in Scripture, that that is what honors the Lord, and that is the best. That's the best for you. And one of the things that concerns mommy and daddy is, this is what Joanna uh, says to her kid, one of the things that concerns mommy and daddy is that there are so many kids who don't have the blessing that you have of having a daddy that care for you and mommy and daddy are never going to leave you. Mommy and daddy are never going to you know, the kinds of things that they just see all around them. And so what we need to do is we need to pray for those. Your friends people you might know in school that aren't just your friends but you see them this, this is what we don't want to happen because we don't want mommy and daddy to not that want that to happen to you. You grow up and you get married. We, we want you to marry somebody that's going to love Jesus just like you do. I read an article a number of years ago that was really helpful to me. Um, I think that's where American culture is. In the, in the late 18th and 19th century, when the missionary movement started, the faith-based missionary movement started, 
they would go into a culture where there's polygamy and just all kinds of horrible things that were thoroughly dysfunctional. Okay, the chieftain comes to Christ and he has seven wives. What do you say to him? Pick the one you want to keep and get rid of the rest of them. That's probably not going to work. So part of their strategy was our focus now is on the next generation. We can't undo all of the sin and impact of sin, but we can start fresh. So let's build a whole generation. So to me, that's one of our goals. Let's build a whole generation of men and women who see God's ideal. They come to faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what they start to build. We got to rebuild. We have to rebuild the institution, the family, marriage, and civilization. Family today, I'm not saying you don't know, family today has no meaning. What, the, what is family in American civilization today? There's so many variations of it. But the Bible's clear. The Bible has, there's no ambiguity on that issue when it comes to the Bible. So that's my answer. Absolutely. Um, the question, did, did, was there a mic there or should I repeat the question? Okay. I'll repeat the question. Um, when my definition was to move from dependence on us to dependence on Jesus, uh, your question was, what is it, dependence on Jesus or dependence on God? Is that the essence of your question? taught them the definition of the Trinity, that God is one essence of three persons who differ relationally and functionally. I'm just kidding. I didn't teach them that. I mean, I, I sort of talked to them about that, but that's the definition of, of God as Trinity. He is one essence of three persons. And it is true, and I, I appreciate your question because it is true sometimes. We confuse in our language the, the understanding of God, the essence of God, and that there are three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There are three persons in that one essence. And so sometimes, and when we study the scriptures, we do have to make the decision, is this speaking of God in his essence as the Trinity, Trinitarian God? Or is it focusing on, on one of the persons of the Trinity? John chapter 5, verse 19 through 24 is a great example of the Father and Son, the two different persons in the Godhead and their relationship to one another. It's one of real, a relationship of love. But now to specifically answer your question, we were intentional in um, getting the kids to pray to Jesus and to talk to Jesus. 
And we said that because it was Jesus who said in the upper room, I now call you friend. It's a theological nuance, and um, but it was it was something we chose to do, and that's that's how we, we talked about it with them. A very personal, intimate relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Just uh, 
uh, two minutes here just to write down what's your biggest takeaway tonight. I know there were two statements, and I'll share mine with you just here in a second, but two statements that Dr. Eckman made that I think we can kind of hang our hat on as parents. And so uh, maybe look at your notes or even just have a little discussion at your table. What's maybe one or two takeaways that you can pull out of tonight? So, yeah, go ahead. Okay, there we go. Hey, uh, great. Let me bring you back now. Hey, two things that um, two things that just stuck out to me to, uh, from tonight. These two statements um, that we want to, and this would be kind of something you could say. This is our goal as parents. We want to lead our kids from dependence on us to dependence on the Lord. You know, what a huge thing to carry right through all parenting. And then this was the other big one for me. Uh, discipline is not punitive; it is restorative. You know, I mean how. Um, I think that that could probably, if you ever, I know as a parent, sometimes I go into discipline and um, I really have to have a hard time controlling that anger element. You know, I'm upset that we're in this situation again, you know, maybe even. And that whole idea, though, that this is restorative, it's not punitive, that, that has the end goal in mind. So anyway, very encouraging, awesome stuff tonight. Hey, let me give you just two announcements. Um, first one, your take-home cards are on your, um, in your, uh, in the middle of your table there. So grab one of those and... Uh, I can't remember the second announcement, so we're just going to go with one. And, uh, yeah, have a great night, everybody. We'll see you next week.